0: to use the whiteboard in sermon, doesn't get better than that. <clears throat> well, we're coming into the, the holiday season when families get together and, uh, and, and, and busyness uh, gets out of control and people sit down at their dinner table ready for, to have Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner and, and, uh, <clears throat> and that's the perfect time for family drama to be drummed up. Right, for all of the stuff to come out that hasn't been, you know, that hasn't come out since last year or something like that, to have some issues. Okay, well, we're, we're coming to the holiday season again, and I gotta be honest with you. I've come to really, like, not like the 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 holiday season. It, it's become very difficult for me for to get into the into the spirit of the holidays. I I don't know about you, but I mean, it comes down to. Maybe it's because we have to do like the tour, right? So we have to go to Cincinnati, spend time with my family. Right, then we go to Columbus and spend more time with some of my family, Columbus, Indiana, not Columbus, Ohio. Never go there. (laughs) And then we have to go to Noblesville and spend time, spend time with Erica's family. And so we I mean we're doing the tour of the families here. It's just exhausting. It's exhausting. And then on top of that, we gotta buy gifts for all these people. You know, and and uh, and I don't know what they want, and so they give me a list of things and, and to, to to buy for them, and we go buy them, and then they open them, and they they have to act surprised that they got something that they asked for, and it's just like this big whole you know, production that just kind of seems unnecessary. I gotta I, I, I gotta warn you guys, I've become a real Bah humbug kind of person in the holidays. Now I. I know some of you really enjoy it and get into the spirit of it all and you know you start celebrating the holidays in October with Hallmark movies and the and the idea you know, like you already have your Christmas tree up and if that's you I mean God bless you we need more people like you right and you got your you know your your Christmas sweaters and everything out of the closet and everything's ready to go already and and, and And just the thought of having all of your family under one roof for for a day just makes your heart sing. Okay? and And that that truly is a blessing. For me, it sounds like chaos. and it's and it's exhausting. Uh, and and I, so I, I hope I'm not like raining on your parade, but uh, but that's that's how I've come to feel as I've you know, come into adulthood, I suppose. And, uh, and it's, just, it's just one big exercise, and it's just not that much fun anymore. And, and it, a lot of it centered, centers around family. I, I thought this might be a good time to talk about family, specifically family drama, and, uh, and what, what we might be able to learn from the kingdom of God from family drama, Th- family drama that we see in the Bible, Okay. And I've got a bit of family drama of my own uh, going on in, in my life. Uh, the, uh, the, my mom's side of the family, they're the Impsons, okay? So that's where my strong Christian roots come from, like five generations of restoration church people, right? And, uh, and, and grew up in the church. Literally, some of them built the churches with their own two hands. And, uh, and so <clears throat> faith is very important. So when we get together... Like, uh, me and, and my, I have two older sisters, Aaron and Laura, and my, and my parents, we all serve in some way, either as elders, on staff, ministers, or deacons, like, everybody in the family serves in some way in the church. So guess what we talk about when we get together? Church. Yeah, we talk about what, what's going on in everybody's church, right? And it's a little braggadocious at times, if I'm completely honest, but that's what we do, right? We talk about things that matter to us. In, in our lives. The Wilmores, on the other hand, they need a lot of prayer. They, 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 they did not have the, the strong Christian foundation that my mom received and then uh, helped bring into the my my family or what I like to call the Fab Five, the original, the original five of us. Of course, Michigan fan fab five. And um and, and, and so uh, they, they need some, some, some help. And uh, on top of matters, like when we get together, we're not allowed to talk about anything that really matters to us. We can't talk about faith. We can't talk about politics. You know, we can't talk about your religion or, or really anything that's divisive. And I got to be quite frankly with, with you, you. You take all that away, and I have nothing left to talk about. <laughs> and so we get together, and we talk about Apple. Like our, app, our love for Apple products, that, that's about it, that's about it. And uh, on, on top of all of this, last June, last June, things got really out of hand, thanks to Facebook, and, uh, and some, some things were posted online and, uh, that were a very divisive, hot-button faith, and where faith and politics marry. And some things were said, and, and beyond that, some things were done, that were not very nice, um, and uh, and was just left there to fester beneath the skin. And it's been a real battle. Oh, excuse me, struggling with my voice. It's been a real battle uh, uh, for me to to forgive them, to deal with it. So I've kind of reached the point where I'm just ready to, you know, never have to deal with those people again, okay? Uh, and and that, that's where I'm at in my life. I just told my mom that yesterday when I, when I spoke to her last. So um, and that's, that is what I have to look forward to this holiday season, is dealing with all of that drama. Do you have some drama in your family? think no, no matter how big or how small it might be, we all can think of something. Right? Well, uh, Jesus Jesus himself had no shortage of family drama. In fact, he had to make some pretty hard choices that may make us scratch our heads. So in your Bibles uh, or your Bible apps, go to Mark chapter three. Mark chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 13 through 35 today, and we're going to see what all the fuss is about. So today and next week, we're going to talk about chaotic homes and what that might teach us about living in the kingdom of God. And this is the guiding question that I want us to seek an answer to today, is that, is is what I do, what do I do when I feel the pressure to choose between Jesus and, basically, fill in the blank, Jesus and life, okay? That's the question I want to pose, and I believe the text can answer that for us, okay? So our text is Mark 3, 13 through 35, and there's something special that's happening here in this story that I want to show to you as we work through it. Okay, and and because of that, I need I need Mr. Whiteboard over here. I hope I don't hear any groans or or complaining about that. All right. So, anyways, um, uh, there's a lot there to work with, and so we're just gonna talk about um, hit some of the highlights in the overall structure of the passage, and then and then see how that might answer our question. For the day now uh, verses 13 through uh, 19 are all about Jesus going up on a mountain and he goes up there and prays and he chooses or or, or God is, speaks to him and, and chooses for him the, the 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 12 leaders who will help organize uh, Jesus' followers okay we call them the 12 disciples the, they're, they're off, they, they really are like 12 leaders because Jesus has more than 12 disciples, right? He has a huge following. And so these 12 are like the most important to him because they're going to help manage everybody else. And uh, and so he he has to uh, sit down and and contemplate and pray. He prays over all night as to who the 12 are going to be. And 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 then they're listed there. and, And we're not here to talk about just those 12. But he's sitting there. And he's choosing the, the, the men who are going to be closest to him in his life, men who he's later going to call his brothers, his brothers in God. And so uh, if, if we were to summarize just these past, this, this first passage, verses 13 through 19, in the choosing of the 12, what, what I might say uh, to, to sum that up is that Jesus chooses his family. I hope you can read that. If not, you can come up later and see it. All right. So Jesus chooses. Uh, Jesus chooses his family. Okay. And uh, and then and then Mark's gonna take a, a a turn in the story, and he's gonna draw your attention in a new direction. Okay. And this is what uh, this is what uh, this is where it, the story goes. In verse twenty, it says, "Then Jesus entered a house." And again, a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said that he is out of his mind. Okay, That he is out of his mind. Now, there's some interesting family dynamics that's going on here. This, this, these two verses don't necessarily tell us who specifically... Has come to get Jesus. Later on in the story, we'll see. Uh, some people are, are specifically identified. Uh, but for right now, what it seems to be happening is that this is just Jesus' family, like his extended family that has that have come to collect him. They've come to get him. For whatever reason that might be. They might be embarrassed by Jesus because he's saying a bunch of things that, that are that are embarrassing to them. That, that it goes against what everyone else is expecting of Jesus. And so they're, they're embarrassed. Maybe they are uh, wanting to protect him uh, because he's, he's raised a lot of, uh, of, of eyebrows from the Jewish elite who are interested in what Jesus is saying, and he's drawing the, the ire of the wrong people. All right, so maybe they're worried about it. But, but what, we're, what, what we can see from this, what I want to draw your attention or zoom in on, and these two verses, is the, word, the words for take charge, which is the Greek word, krateo, right? And, uh, and, and what it literally means is to overpower, that they came to overpower Jesus. And sometimes this word is translated as arrested, like they, they've come to arrest Jesus, or, or, or maybe even to bind or to tie up, okay? Now, I want you to hold on to that, because that's going to be important, later all right but for right now let's just sum up these two verses by saying that uh, uh, the family uh, gets Jesus or has come to collect Jesus I only have so much space there so there's only so much I can write the, the family comes to collect Jesus all right so now that's that's the next two so now Mark's going to move the story again in a new direction. Okay, he's going to move it again in a new direction. We're still in the same passage of scripture, but uh, in verse twenty, in verse twenty-two, there's going to be some Jewish leaders that are going to come up and say that Jesus is doing some things by the power of Beelzebub, which is another way of saying that Jesus is exercising demons by the power. Of Satan, all right. So Beelzebub is really just kind of another name for Satan, all right. And uh, and then in verse twenty three, Jesus has to respond to these ludicrous ideas or these ludicrous comments that the Jewish leaders are saying, and really how illogical it all is. And so in verse twenty three, uh, uh, Jesus gives his response to those Jewish leaders, the teachers of the law, and he says, uh, so Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And and in fact, no one uh, can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man then he can rob his house. Then he can rob his house. Uh, and so Jesus is dealing with this, uh, these, these teachers of the law who are saying some not nice things about him, things that aren't true about him. And, uh, and because they have the attention of the crowds, he has to deal with this. And what does he do? he he tells three quick, very like rapid-fire parables to show how illogical their, their thought really is, right? Because a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, right? It will just crumble and fall. A house, you cut a house in half, like it's going to fall in on itself, right? But it's the strong man in a house that I want to draw your attention to. Because in his description here, the strong man is in the house and he has all of these things that he has in the house with him, like all of his belongings, right? And in order to steal all of that stuff or to plunder it, right, for a good pirate, piratey word, uh, then he, uh, the, the strong man needs to be bound or we could say overpowered or arrested. So then the rest of the things in the house can be taken. Now, in this particular Illustration, the strong man in this parable is Beelzebub. It's Satan. Right? And Satan needs to be bound. The house would then be the world that we live in, and the belongings of Satan are people. They're people, right? Because Jesus is going around expelling demons. He's 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 removing the power of Satan from the earth. And he's he's Stealing from Satan all the people that belong to him. And he's plundering the house of Satan. Right? That's, that's, the, that's the meaning of that particular parable. That Satan is the strong man who needs to be bound. And Jesus is the invader. Uh, and, and, and he's stealing souls. He's stealing people back to himself uh, from the grips of darkness and Satan. Okay, But this section continues... On for two more verses. In verse 28, it says, I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemes of men will be forgiven them. But, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying that he has an evil Spirit. Now, I've been working in uh, the church or, you know, uh, working in ministry for almost 10 years now, and I've been asked the question, what is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, maybe about a dozen times, okay? And and when we get this question, generally people are concerned that they may have committed the, the blaspheming of of the Holy Spirit, which is this, like, eternal, unforgivable sin. And and there's some concern there. Well, I mean, I can tell you right now, if you're asking the question, you know, have I committed the blaspheming the Holy Spirit and, and, and this unforgivable sin, then if you're asking that question, you have not. All right? You have not committed that sin, okay? Because your heart is concerned, is being convicted, okay? But let's look at context, right? Because context is what? Context is king. Well done, yeah, awesome. all right. All right, so context is, is king, right? So when we look at the context um, <clears throat> of this particular uh, situation, uh, the Holy Spirit is the, is the one that's being blasphemed against. Why, why not Jesus, Right? Why doesn't it talk about blaspheming Jesus or as right, the unfor- unforgivable sin or God the Father? What makes the Holy Spirit so so unique? Well, Jesus claims to who he is. His power, his authority is all drawn from the Holy Spirit. And so it's kind of like saying, well, you can say what you want about me. Right? And I'll forgive you of that. But my, my power, my authority, what is, who I am, is because of the Holy Spirit. And if you deny the Holy Spirit, if you blaspheme my claims through the power of the Holy Spirit, that, that is unforgivable. Okay? So if, if to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is this, if we can re- reduce it down, it's denying that Jesus is king right it's denying that jesus is now king of the world because that is exactly what jesus is claiming and he's made that claim based off the power of the holy spirit back in in mark uh, chapter 1 verse 10 we see jesus is ordained by the holy spirit in his baptism right and that everything he does and everything that he says is all done by the power and the authority of the holy spirit and what the Jewish leaders are saying is that we don't believe who you say you are. And he says, but it's not me that's saying it. It's the Holy Spirit through me. And so if you are denying that, you're, denying, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Okay. But there's a little bit more. There's a twist. There's a kicker. Okay? Because the Jewish leaders are doing this for a reason. They're denying the claims of Jesus to avert the attention of the people, to keep them from being uh, raptured or to be captured up into Jesus's claims, to become followers of him. And so it's not only to to deny the claim that Jesus is king, but it's keeping others from being able to follow him. Okay, so when we talk about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, that's what we're talking about. It's it's, it's to deny the Holy Spirit is to deny the authority by which Jesus does and says all that he does and says. It is by the Holy Spirit that Jesus is making his claim as king, and you can ignore, ignore Jesus all you want, but you can't ignore the power and authority by which he says it. Thus, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, in part, is to say Jesus is not king of the world, uh, but the teachers of the law are saying that Jesus is not king. Uh, his power comes from Satan. And they reach the point where their hearts just seem incapable of accepting the kingship of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're doing this to keep others from following him. And if we remember Jesus' words that come later in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9, verse 42, about what he says to those who might lead the children astray it would be better for a millstone to be tied around his neck and dropped into the sea. To lead others astray, away from Jesus, that's the kicker of this. So if we were to sum up this, this section of the story, it's that the Jewish leaders deny Jesus as king to block others. Right, that the Jewish leaders deny Jesus to block others from following him. I should move back so you all can see it. How about that? Okay. So Mark now jumps back into the bit about Jesus' family, okay? So he's concluded that part of the story, and now he jumps back to to going on about Jesus' family, all right? And some interesting things are going to happen here. So follow along with me in verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived standing outside, and they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. <clears throat> well, I, I can't help but think that Mark may have tried to spiritualize the story here a little bit. Uh, from the setting of what we see here, Jesus is in a house, you know, a, a room, and he has gathered around him all of these followers, right? They're in the house. His family are on the outside the house, calling into Jesus, trying to remove him from the house. I can't help but think that maybe John, or I'm sorry, that Mark is is telling this story in such a way to show those who are in versus those who are out, and that Jesus' own family are on the outside looking in. I can't imagine how hard it was for Jesus and his family in this particular situation. Again, maybe Mary's just worried. Maybe, maybe the brothers are embarrassed. Maybe they're concerned for his life. Maybe they think he's a lunatic and that he needs to be uh, hospitalized. Whatever the reason is, they've come to collect him. And there's a, There's a great irony that's happening in the story because Jesus' family has come to overpower him and to take him away. But Jesus has just told a parable where Satan is the strong man of a house who needs bound so that they can rob, uh, so that Jesus can rob him. But now the story's reversed, and Jesus is the one in the house. And there are people who are coming, trying to bind him up and overpower him to rob him of his followers, and we must see what Jesus chooses to do. Uh, and so, uh, what what we see here in this part of the story is that uh, the family gets tries to get Jesus. You see what I'm doing here. And then for the final uh, three verses, Jesus responds to his family's claims. He says, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Ouch. Ouch. I mean, how hard that must have been for Mary to hear, is her own son basically denying her, keeping her at bay. His own brothers who he grew up with and sisters who he grew up with and helped teach them to walk and talk and, and feed themselves, he's now, he's now keeping them out. And, and I got to be honest with you, looking at this passage, it's hard to understand why Jesus would do such a thing to his own flesh and blood, to his own family. But Jesus makes an important claim here. He says those who do the will of God, they're the ones that are in the family of Jesus. So, juxtaposed to their situations are those trying to hinder the work and reign of Jesus, who actually are his family, his flesh and blood. But on the other side are his followers, who he's now called his family. And there's a comparison here of the two. And Mark is wanting to draw your attention to that. So that as a reader, you can ask yourself which one of these crowds. Am I? Which one of these crowds am I? Who am I like in this story? And so finally, the story ends with Jesus choosing his family. I know that's kind of not maybe very easy to read. But Jesus chose his family when he chose the 12. This family comes to get him because they're embarrassed by him or, or they think he's crazy. And then he has to deal with the Jewish leaders, right? And he, and he tells these parables who are, they're trying to thwart his followers and, and, and keep them from following him. Uh, and, and he has to deal with their illogical arguments. And then he comes back, the story comes back to the family trying to get Jesus again, his own mother and brothers, and finally Jesus responds to them by, Choosing his true family. What do we call this? I can hear it. Someone said, "Chiasm." Right? Or a chiasmus. It's it's a way of telling a story. If you didn't notice, uh, wh- number one goes with number five. Number two goes with number four. And here at the center. The author is drawing your attention, to single out, to show you where the key for unlocking and understanding this passage is, all right? Scholars call this, and when it ha- this happens all throughout the Bible, by the way, I mean, hundreds of times. Uh, for, for example, the story of Noah is one giant chiasm, all right? It's just a story that works itself out to a point, Which is God remembers Noah in that particular instance, and it works itself all the way back in 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 reverse in reverse way. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, what scholars have come to call these are uh, Markin sandwiches, Mark Mark sandwiches. All right, because that's a good way to think about it. I mean, Sunday afternoon you go and self you make yourself a sandwich, right? After Thanksgiving you go and make yourself leftover turkey sandwich, right? You got two pieces of bread. Right, that's your outer edges. Right, that's your outer parts of the story. You open that up. You gotta put mayonnaise on one side, mustard on the other. So you got your condiments. Then what goes in the middle? The meat. Right, that's where your turkey goes. That's where the cheese goes. Like that's where all the good stuff goes. Right, same thing is happening here, and this is a very Jewish way of telling a story. And there's hundreds of them all throughout the Bible, and it's, uh, they're handing you the keys to understanding what they're trying to tell you. And at the very center of this particular story comes a grave, uh, I'm sorry, a great promise and a grave warning. The great promise uh, is when he tells them that no matter what you have done in your life, no matter what blasphemes you have committed, those sins will all be forgiven, that's the great promise of Jesus. But the grave, the grave warning is to deny Jesus as king and to keep others from following him. And so that has something to do with the rest of the story. And in this particular story, there are three... I lost my marker. Three. There are... Oh, there are three kinds of responses. There's three kinds of people. All right, it's getting all sorts of messy up here now. All right, you got the inner side, all right, the inner the inner core of the story. All right, those are uh, ill. I'm going to say ill-intended people. All right, those are the people with ill intent to intentionally keep you from following Jesus. All right? And then you've got the, the bit about the family, and those are your naive people who are keeping you from following Jesus, but unknowingly to them. There's no necessarily ill intent, but the result is the same. And then finally, on the outer, on the outer part of this uh, chiasm, you've got uh, the followers, the true family of Jesus. And Mark wants you to ask yourself in this story, which one am I? Which one am I? Am I the ill-intended person who have kept other people from faithfully following Jesus and accepting him as king? Or am I the naive person, the one who doesn't have any ill will against Jesus, uh, but is just keeping others from being able to faithfully follow him, to, to remain loyal to him? Or am I a follower at the feet of Jesus claiming him as Lord of my life. All right, that's what Mark is wanting you to to try and understand, to to, to try and figure out for yourself. And here's what that might look like in your life. Here's what the ill-intent person might look like. They might be the people in your family who you go to war with over your faith, who fight and bicker and sneer at you because of what you believe. Maybe it's a spouse who does not like the church or that you go to church and, and, and does everything they can to undermine your experience here or, or your faith. Maybe it's a college professor who is telling you that religion is just a crutch to deal with the pains and the toils of life. Or, or, or maybe, like me, uh, it's, it, it's people who think that, that family in your family in, in your life who tell you that your faith is antiquated. That is judgmental. It's barbaric. It's closed minded. It's no longer necessary. These are the easy people to spot in your life because they're the hard nosed people who will stand up against you. And in many ways, they're the easy ones to deal with. I mean, Jesus deals with them in, in, in the side of three sentences and he moves on. They're the easy ones to identify. It's this next group that's harder maybe a naive person in your in your life is a husband or wife who just continues to schedule things during Sunday morning worship or or group get-togethers not not to keep you from worshiping but simply because that's the morning that all of your friends have to get together or to go out to brunch or do whatever right there's there's outings and vacations that you go on on the weekends or all the time because because it's just simply convenient. There's no ill intent, but by their actions, they're still taking you away from the opportunity to worship the Lord and serve Him and share Him with others. Maybe, maybe it's your kids who have come to you and said, you know what, I want to be on this team, or I want to go and be part of that troop, or I want to go and do this thing. And, and you filled up your schedule with so much youth events or youth that you, have, you, you can't keep your head above water. Or maybe it's your boss, who's just simply overloaded at work with their own uh, responsibilities, and, and 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 so they've now passed that down to you. and And the understanding is is that you need to get this done, or your job will be on the line. Right? They just need the job done. They're not trying to keep you from Jesus, but the result ends up being the same. These are the harder people to to see in your life, to spot, because they're the ones that are closest to us, the ones that we love the most. They're the ones who love you and cherish you and want to see you do well and be healthy and be good, just like Jesus' mother wanted her son to be be healthy and to be safe and, and to be kept from harm's way. But the result was still the same as what the Jewish leaders were trying to do. Or maybe you're, maybe the third group is the doing the will of God. Doing the will of God is completing the work that he gave us to do. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Oh, I sing your praises, Lord. Oh, I, I taught the Bible Lord, I fed the poor, I did all these great things in your name, but if you are not spreading the reign of God on earth as it is in heaven, then you aren't completing the work that God gave us to do. And he told us, he gave us a method for doing that, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and keep your eyes on me because I will be with you always. Our work that we are to complete is to to, to spread the reign of our king. So let me ask you, who have you discipled? Who are you discipling? What have you given up to remain loyal to God? What has your faith cost you? Are you busy chasing your wants? Or busy serving and sacrificing for the king. Let me give you some examples. In the mid '90s, the, uh, the 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 internet was a new thing, right? In 1995, Windows '95 operating system comes out, and it comes with Internet Explorer, right? The number one w- web browser in the world um, for for a, at least a decade, and uh, and now everybody. Has access to the internet, and uh, and so think that they started to invent ways called sticky page. They call them sticky pages, ways to keep your eyeballs glued to the web page. And they have whole groups of people who sit down and figure out what will be the best way to keep uh, people on our web interface, on our web page. All right, and uh, and and. and and some things have begun to happen since then. So since 97, uh, Ritalin prescriptions have gone up tenfold. Uh, and, and, and we have all these uh, things vying for our attention. College students and younger professionals now use Ritalin and Adderall as cognitive enhancers, which is similar to what athletes do for performance-enhancing drugs. It helps them focus in on the material to, to, to provide uh, a way to fill the gap so that they can focus in on what they need to get done. Uh, and, and today we are in the middle of, of the streaming wars, right? The streaming wars, which is a new <laughs> phrase that's been coined, right? Because we've got Amazon, we've got Hulu. And just this month, there have been two new uh, people that have, that have put their... Uh, put their programs out into the fray, with Disney Plus, yes, I signed up for that, <laughs> and Apple TV Plus, which, yes, I signed up for that one too. All right, and so now we've got these streaming wars of all this content readily at our hands that we can access on all our devices, Add on top of that, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our attention is being constantly drawn to these devices in our hand or, or to the Internet, and it's being kept from doing other things like following and serving Jesus. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes after our kids go to bed, it'll take me a half hour to find something to watch on Netflix because there's just so many options I can't decide. And so by then I'm just like, well, what's the point? I turn the TV off and I go uh, upstairs or I read a book or do something, uh, play a game. And so, uh, and so this is a, a real problem uh, that, that is our attention is being captured. And you know, Satan, uh, none of this thing I think is, is ill intent to keep us from following Jesus. It's a naive thing. But, you know, I think Satan has learned the trick to keep us from following Jesus and remaining loyal to him. It's by filling our life with so many distractions and options and choices that we just get lost in our own, in our own choices and our own desires. And we fill them up. We fill our life up with so much junk. There's no time left for Jesus. For Mary, I believe that she is uh, worried about losing her son. But that leads her down the same path as the Jewish leaders. And even though her, her intentions are not evil, the result is the same. And what Mark is telling you here is don't be like Mary. Don't be like Jesus' family. Don't be, certainly, don't be like the Jewish leaders. Be like the followers who have given up so much to be at the feet of Jesus. So what is the answer or, or way out from all of this? What's the answer to get, to get away from all of, the, all of the distractions of life and all, the, uh, all of the naive things that try to keep us from following Jesus? That no matter the cost, we choose him. No matter the cost, we choose Jesus. Uh, my wife Erica didn't grow up in the church. She really likes it when I talk about her. And so if everybody could, she's sitting right over here. She said not to embarrass her, so of course. My, my wife Erica didn't grow up in the church. Uh, they came, their, their family came to the faith a little bit later in life. Uh, I believe Erica was around the age of 12. She was in the sixth grade when her family started going to church. Uh, and, and then they were, they were all baptized. It was about eight years prior to that, though, when they moved into the house that they live in now. It's this, it's this very blue house in Noblesville, uh, just, off of, just off of 10th Street. And, uh, and, and there are some neighbors that lived across and then, like, catty-corner to them. Okay. And, uh, and these neighbors um, were, uh, were Gary and Barb, and they, they began to invest or to develop a friendship with my wife's family. The, the, her, her, her maiden name is Geyer, right? and her parents are Morris and Teresa, or as I like to call them, Mo and Mother Teresa. Because I can't pass that one up. And so at, at a very young age, they start taking, uh, their, their neighbors start taking uh, my, my wife and her twin sister, Erin, to VBS at their church. They do that for a couple times, uh, and, and the relationship continues to develop over the years. And then in 92, uh, my father-in-law, uh, Mo, his, his nephew, Eric, uh, accidentally shot himself. While cleaning a muzzle loader gun, and uh, and, and they were very close. Uh, they were they were very close with him. He would go on dates uh, with with Mo and Teresa before they were married, uh, and 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 he would come over to their house all the time. They had a very strong relationship, and now that Eric uh, dies at this in, in his early twenties, very young man to die, uh, Mo and Teresa start questioning some things. They begin to re-examine their life and kind of what it's all meant to them and what it all means to them. And, uh, and then some, some more years go by, and, uh, and they, finally to answer, they finally answer Gary and Barb's uh, question to go and visit church with them. Now, Mo and Teresa had not some great experiences with church in their youth, Uh, My father-in-law grew up in a very hard-nosed church that was very legalistic and and had some very hard messages for people, a lot of law and little grace. And so they didn't want to attend a church that was like that, and they were very cautious and very timid about where to go. And so Barb actually went to the senior minister and said, you stay away from them. I don't want you to bother them. Just let them come and, and, and let them simmer here, right? Uh, but one of the things that really attracted them to the church, which was Refuge Christian Church, was the senior minister. His name is Stan Sutton. Stanley Sutton. He's a great man. And, and uh, you know, ministers, like all professions, you have something that you're really great at, something that you're okay at, and then something that you're, you, you try to improve. And Stan's great thing that he's excellent at is shepherding and loving people. He's a shepherd of shepherds. And he just is this great guy, and they, they start building a rapport and a relationship, and Stan cares about them and asks about their lives, and he remembers their names when they come back and visit. And, uh, and, and eventually, uh, their, their visits go from like once a month to twice a month to three times a month to the point where they're like, you know what? Sundays are just going for church. And they go all in. And uh, it was within a year of them answering and visiting Refuge Christian Church the first time that they all eventually submit to the command to be baptized and to become loyal to Jesus. What they didn't know is what it would cost them. You see, Mo, as I've kind of explained already, is pretty close with, the, with his family, and uh, and they were always close with, with all of Moe's uh, siblings and an extended family. And one of the things that they do, uh, like most families, is have a great big get-together during the holidays. And the time has come for them to get together at, at Mo's brother's house like it, like they always do. In fact, they still do to this day. And, uh, and it's an opportunity for them to, to drink and to party and to celebrate. Right? A life that Mo and Teresa have now come out of. And they've made the decision to not live that lifestyle anymore. And so Mo's family begins to look at them as the holier than thou, the, the the people who are hypocritical, the, the holy rollers, as you might call it. And there begins to be a divide. In one particular Christmas. Uh, all of the nieces and nephews were called together for a, a holiday photo. But Heather, Josh, Aaron, and Erica were all excluded. That was the end. And they said, no more. Because Mo's family was trying to get them to decide, to make the choice, it's us, or it's Jesus. And they chose Jesus. Certainly, this was hard on on Mo, and he continued to go for the next couple years by himself. But it just eventually reached the point where there was no reason at all, and he even gave that up. And uh, they they no longer they no longer spend holidays together. They don't really. Uh, invest in each other anymore, and there's, there's been a real divide there, all because Mo and Teresa chose to follow Jesus, which is very unfortunate that it's come to that. Well, uh, it's, it's hard choices in life that we all face. There's hard choices in life, in, in our faith, that we must decide. And I am so grateful to Mo and Teresa for that choice because I have Erica. I saw that. They eventually decide you know what? We want to go to Bible college. And of course, they chose the best Bible college of Bible colleges, Johnson Bible College where I happened to also choose, and we met, and we, you know, the rest of the story. And so that decision, back, way back when, is still impacting our lives today. And I guess what I'm trying to say here, what this all boils down to, is that living life devoted to God, we have hard choices with lasting impact. And what all this means is that G- choose Jesus because he chose you. Choose Jesus because he chose you. Look at where the story starts. Jesus chooses his family, and look at where it ends. He chooses who his family is. Choose Jesus because he chose you. Therefore, choose Jesus in everything you do. Choose Jesus in your job. Choose, choose Jesus in your playtime. Choose Jesus in your family and with your spouse or in, in your friends. Choose Jesus in the movies and the entertainment and the things that you fill your life with. Choose Jesus in your calendar and how you fill that up. No matter the cost, no matter what it will, whatever the choice might lead to, choose Jesus in everything else, because all that matters is being a part of his family. Choose Jesus because he chose you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today and the opportunities that we've had to come and worship your name. Uh, You truly are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I I pray that the holiday season that's coming upon us is one that we can uh, celebrate with family and and celebrate in your honor and your birth and all the good things that come with that. Uh, But Lord, some of us in here might be dealing with some drama, with some family choices that might be difficult to make, and I pray that you move your spirit among us so that we can make healthy, kingdom-minded choices, that we choose you in everything that we do, and that that we choose you in our family and in our time together, and that we choose you in everything. Just fill us up with your spirit, so that we can continue to follow you faithfully. Because you are the king of the world. It's in your son's name, Jesus, who is the king that we pray. Amen.